0: Maintenant. le Québec maintenant
1: maintenant votre point de repère Le Québec maintenant 17h53 euh, c'est l'heure de recevoir Mario L'anglois des amateurs de sport salut Salut Patrick euh, Mario est-ce que est-ce que Georges Saint-Pierre va faire un retour Ben moi je, je suis de plus en plus convaincu que oui ouais. et ça a passé dans le vide parce je pense que
0: I know Quebec it is the francophone chunk of Canada prone to frothy linguistic disputes, home of the exquisite lumberjack foods of Joe Beef and Martin Picard, motherland of those hardy souls who live in plywood huts on the streets of New York City every Christmas season, making love in their camper vans and slinging trees for cash. Of course, this is to say, I don't know shit about Quebec. This ignorance of mine is an old friend, a familiar problem to those of us who have more frequent flyer miles than common sense. But if I have one thing going for me, it is this undefeated trick of the trade. It's a two-step thing, actually. First, understand that you know nothing. And second, find a journalist from the place you're going to. Bring her or him something to drink and just listen. My great luck in Montreal, at the outset of these next five episodes, is to not just find a journalist, but to find THE journalist, the man who has spent years patiently intermediating between Francophone and Anglophone Canada, who has enough cage rattle to him to have been sketchily surveilled by the Montreal Police Department, who won the Canadian Press Freedom Award for the way that he fought back and who now is the host and voice of Quebec's biggest drive time radio news show. He is Patrick Lagasse, and I brought him some beer, and I listened. We recorded this episode before the twin bullshits of COVID and insurrection in the United States, but you'll hear that much of this conversation about identity and politics and culture in Quebec and Canada is ever so evergreen. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, you're listening to the trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. Here we are, and look—the we have beer, and look, we have time. We have beer, and we've got time—plenty of both.
1: Yeah, let's let's change.
0: cheers, salut.
1: Mm-hmm. Salut, santé,
0: santé. It's good. It is. It's good beer. So, so tell me, you you had sent me to a a convenience store to get some Blanche de Chambly, and white now, beer. Now
1: you're gonna ask why?
0: I'm. Go- <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> these, are, these are the kind of unexpected uh, ambush questions I like to um, put to my guests. Okay. The, the, why are we drinking this?
1: Well, first first of all, I like it. I like Blanche de Chambly, and it's like the grandfather of. Uh, White ale beers in Quebec, on the um, on the craft beer scene,
0: they were one of the first uh, Unibrew. Yeah.
1: So I'd say twenty five years ago they were um, they were starting, and um,
0: this is like the Sierra Nevada of Quebec,
1: something like that. Craft beer, and and since then, the scene for craft beer has exploded and you know it used to it used to be very very small in terms of shelves shelves in uh, in grocery stores yeah and now it's huge so uh, so there you go and and so this one i knew you would find it easily
0: <laughs> i do have to say the convenience store that i went into had a store that was just like filled with chips and smokes and stuff yeah yeah and then it had a beer cooler and then there was a door In a whole other room behind the beer cooler there you go it was like stranger things it was like there was like a a cavern and and if you'd been
1: downstairs you would have found the upside down world (laughs) or something like that of beer
0: this would have been filled with russian kernels and uh, little green uh spacemen yeah that was uh astonishing like the amount of beer that was which is great because if you're coming you know I, I've been two hours in Canada it's exactly what I want is a gigantic walk-in cooler to like <laughs> confirm everything that I thought I knew about this country you know we have much
1: um, much a much lighter attitude towards alcohol than in the states first off you know here in Quebec it's 18 years old legal age in Ontario uh, our, our neighbors to the west it's 19 years old but uh, and and you'll you'll often find parents who will tolerate that their teenagers do drink alcohol yeah um it's not the same you know law and order approach to uh, alcohol up here in canada yeah and it's specific specifically in quebec
0: well you know that's a terrible approach because the right way to do it obviously is to uh have the agent which you can go to war be three years before you could drink a beer and drive <laughs> alcohol into the deep underground so that what you're really left is just chugging a quart of fireball with your friends before <laughs> the cops show up, uh, causing permanent liver damage. But,
1: you know, I, 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 um, I went to university in Ontario, in yeah. Ottawa, yeah. the capital, and um, uh, lots of people from Quebec used to go there and lots of people from all around Canada. And what you'd find was that people from Quebec had a very relaxed attitude towards alcohol. We we had our drinking, uh our first drinking experience at around, let's say, 15, 16, the parents would oftentimes, you know, just look at us and say, Mah, you know, kids will be kids, okay? Whereas kids from Ontario, the attitude towards alcohol in their own families and their own community was much more strict. And uh, when they got to Ottawa, to Ottawa on campus at 18 years old, they would go crazy. Okay. They'd go, they'd go crazy because they'd go across the street, uh, across the river in Quebec, where it's 18 years old. They'd buy all the alcohol they, they'd ever wanted. Wow. So they, they would binge drink much more than we would in college.
0: They were like Finns in Latvia or something. They were.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about... Just, this particular yeah. uh, uh, geographical and
0: cultural reference—a group of people who are just loosed upon cheap alcohol that is legal <laughs> to them—and um, with with dire consequences. Well, I'm I'm familiar with that vibe because uh, I I think that's how Americans. I mean, that's how Americans have treated Quebec too. I mean, during Prohibition, yeah. this was like Sin City, right? It was. We're in the heart of the place where people could come and just get loaded.
1: Still is in 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 certain ways because. Um, you know the, the alcohol thing uh, does not does not relate, but um, because you guys now can drink and there's no prohibition. Pro- so prohibition. It's
0: been, a, it's been a few years. Yes, we but, can do it.
1: But you would find easily even when it was illegal, you would find uh, pot yeah. at, on every uh, corner, uh, street corner. And then uh, there's also I, I, I do not patronize these uh, these businesses, but I'm told that uh, strip bars nowadays, do much more than just stripping. So uh, so there you go. Americans apparently come here to uh, enjoy
0: this uh, part hot, of our culture also. Hot off the rumor mill. Come get your much more than stripping experiences in Montreal. Be- because, you know,
1: the, the Supreme Court here in this country, about 20 years ago, basically legalized uh, lap dances. Okay. And... Um, a lot of the strip bars now are basically uh, brothels. It, it's still illegal, but, but, you know, they
0: don't really enforce it. It's a slippery slope, like a really slippery slope.
1: <laughs> and, and also you'll find uh, massage parlors on every, not on every street corner, but you, you'll see them. Okay. You'll have these very uh, neon signs with the, uh, the silhouette Of women, okay? It says massage. You don't get like therapeutical massages, massage there. And the the cops basically don't enforce it because the courts have decided that, you know, if two adults want to go at it, uh, they won't enforce it. And I think it's also not, I think that the cops do not do uh, shake-ups for this kind of activity. Yeah. So Americans know that some Americans know that, and they come here, I think, for that, not it, just for the joie de vivre.
0: It, I mean, that is part of the joie de vivre, I think. But I guess. I mean, is that like a is that a cultural? Is it religious? Like, what's the difference that makes Quebec the um, the sort of easygoing, fun town province?
1: Uh, I think it has to do with the first first of all the, the legal framework you know as i said for the lap dances for instance uh, the supreme court decided that it, you know under certain criteria it was okay and after that yes quebec is i would i would say oftentimes much more laid back towards these um, these changes we're we're oftentimes socially much more progressive than the rest of the country which is in itself a very progressive country. Right. Uh, abortion, uh, drug laws, uh, homosexuality, uh, um, same-sex marriage, and stuff like that. Quebec usually has no problem with that.
0: Right. But And it feels like we're, we're now, what, uh, a week, a little more than a week away from the next election. It's like, mm. it's on the, it's this perennial topic of like Quebec versus Alberta and like the soul of Canada <laughs> and like, right i mean it's like quebec has been that progressive standard bearer uh for a long long time
1: yeah but you know we've just elected provincially a a government that's much more conservative leaning but but then again yes it's a much more right-leaning government that we've elected provincially but i mean you 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 need something like 40 percent of the vote to get a majority in this country, usually, uh, either federally or in the provinces. So, you know, there's a whole range of other parties that might have a, a bigger share of the vote than the party that wins. It's a winner-take-all system. Right. So sometimes you, you must not read too much into it.
0: That Quebec can only do so much as a progressive, it still has to play ball in the rest of Canadian politics? or
1: No, we're... we're, we're... Pretty much isolated, and and one from one another, and vice versa. Because, you know, uh, I'll I'll read commentary sometimes from uh, the uh, Anglo-Canadian press, and sometimes you just know that you know these guys do not read French. So so the information they get from Quebec they get in English, which is oftentimes accurate, but it's not the complete picture. And some other guys and, and women that comment or report. They do speak French, so they do read uh, the the newspaper I work for, and and they do consume French media. But the public, the French French public in Quebec, does not know what's going on in the rest of the country, usually. And the opposite is true. You're, You're from Toronto, you're from Winnipeg, you don't really know what's going on in Quebec. I mean... Uh, apart from the headlines.
0: Yeah, but there's, I mean, there's that phrase, right? The two solitudes between like Anglophone and Francophone Canada, but it's not just that they don't understand each other, but they kind of don't want to, or like the, the will to communicate is not there. There's going to be some point to communicating and there's
1: no point in communicating between these two communities. It, it's two different countries. A lot of people have dreamt that, uh, you know, if only we could talk to each other and understand each other. But culturally, there's just not, it's a huge country. In the U.S., you have a much bigger sense of unity, national unity, than we have. So,
0: I'm sorry, that's a, that's a terrifying statement. I mean, I I feel like we are, uh, if, if not just two, maybe like a thousand different Americas. But you have
1: the same references. You know, if I say Saturday Night Live. Everyone in the U.S. will understand. Um, The cultural references, the political references are the same. In Quebec, we watch Canadian TV because we watch locally produced TV shows. Like there's a, um, on uh, four nights a week, there's a series called on French CBC, which is the national broadcaster, public national broadcaster. Um, It's called District 31. It's life in a police in a police station and uh something like 1.4 1.5 million people follow that it's huge yeah and in english canada you have basically no tv shows fiction tv shows that will draw as many uh market shares because when you're an anglophone i mean a lot of your cultural references will be Canadian, but there will be American, right? And and you know when when you're trying to watch uh, Canadian content, well, you're 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 competing with American content. We're getting at that point in Quebec too, where 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 language does not shield us from other cultural products because people more and more people speak English. But to come back to this metaphor for the two solitudes. I mean, it's 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 one of the greatest phrases ever coined about Canada.
0: Right. It is Hugh Mclellan. Uh, right. This is from a novel, right? Like, yeah. Um, an old novel, like the '40s or something. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and it and it's that. So this is not a new condition. That they're just, but but the that thing that you said that there's no even point in talking because they're two two different countries is also a little arresting. I mean, ultimately. Um, I mean, you know, Trudeau's the president, uh, Alberta, you know, prime minister, I'm uh, sorry, <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's the, uh, what is the, uh, he's the shaman, the head chieftain. Uh, okay. So he's the prime minister, but this is, you know, Trudeau is a, uh, you know, of, of French origin. I mean, sort of, he's gone to school in every province, uh, and Look,
1: his father, yeah, who was a prime minister? One of the uh, I I I'm going to say greatest politicians, okay? Because he, he's 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 not universally liked, but he's like the modern founder of this country um, because he uh, repatriated the constitution yeah. in 1982, and um, he pushed a, a a the Canadian Charter of Freedom uh, and and rights and freedoms. And um, this is like the bedrock of all of our legal system nowadays. And that was 1982. And he has, he had three sons and uh, one of them died tragically in an avalanche 20 years ago. So uh, Justin was one of the the two remaining sons. And basically, which is tough for him. What is tough for him is that he doesn't have the intellectual clout that his father was, uh, had. His father, before before he entered politics, was already a, a, a an intellectual heavyweight in yeah. the life of this country and particularly in Quebec. So when he entered politics, it was a huge, huge event. I think it was 1968 when Justin Trudeau entered politics. It was more a matter of curiosity, and he was very gaff prone too. Um, I mean, uh, uh, and and. He, he he tried to cultivate his uh his sense of eccentricity his father was an eccentric his father once kicked a uh a, a guy from tv who was doing something like uh, you know uh, it, it was a show like what was what's that show with uh john stewart the daily show the or daily show like that. Yeah, okay yeah. so there, there was a show like that like yeah some 20 odd years ago in quebec and, and this false reporter went to interview him and so the guy was in character and Trudeau would, Trudeau's father would have none of it. And he basically kicked him. <laughs> and I think he was used in doing martial arts. So I I don't know if he succeeded in hitting the guy, but you know, the guy was an eccentric. And and when when the uh, FLQ terrorists in 1970 started kidnapping people and, and, and setting up bombs and stuff like that.
0: These are the pro sovereignty. Th- there you go. Yeah. yeah the the, terrorists, the yeah. Front de Libération du Québec. Yeah.
1: And uh, so for, 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 for the most part of the 60s and up until 70, they were very active. And, and uh, so as things um, heated up, you know, there was a lot of pressure on the federal government to do something. And, and Trudeau' father had this sense of drama. And at one point, there's a very, very well-known uh, clip, TV clip where uh, reporters are quizzing him about, you know, what are you going to do? And he says, just watch me. (laughs) So I think that Justin tried to, you know, he told me once in an interview before he became prime minister that um, at his wedding, okay, there was this in a hotel here in Montreal, you know, imagine one of those movie type stairwells. Okay. In, in, in an hotel in the Like lobby, a grand you know? ballroom. There you go. Right. And Justin is, is coming down the stairs with his wife. And he falls. He trips and he falls the stairs. So everybody's going, oh my God, what's that? He did it on purpose. You know, he used to do ju- uh, judo. So so he so basically he rolled around. and everything. So during the, this interview that I was doing for TV, I said, you know, we have stairs here. Do you want to do it? And he said, sure. So... The, 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 there's this very well-known scene again where he, he, he trips and falls and, and he wants to be seen as an eccentric, but he doesn't have his father's clout. So sometimes it, oftentimes it will come across as kind of odd.
0: It's just buffoonery without the like deeper context. There you go. But so you, I mean, you, when I said, well, he's, you know, he's, he's French or he's Quebecois lineage, but Quebec does not. I,
1: I, My face did something, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. You're like disowning him in a way that Pierre did not get disowned. I mean, Pierre was... Okay. Was, yeah. Uh,
1: uh, people in Quebec, oh, I have no disrespect for that. Yeah. Some, some people have disrespect for that. But these are the people who will often be... You'll often find that they're hardcore sovereignists. So, I mean, this guy, Trudeau, would find a cure for cancer. They wouldn't like him anyways. But... The way he speaks is the way an Anglophone speaks when he
0: speaks French. Okay. That's interesting. So he, Just he, His French is like schoolboy is French. School French. You,
1: you, you understand him better if you speak English. He thinks, to me it's very clear, and I've spoken to him numerous times, he, he thinks in English. So if you don't understand English, you'll have a hard time. Sometimes you'll understand him 97% of the time. You'll understand him better if you speak English.
0: That's crazy because he and just going back to that point of the two completely different perspectives. I was reading um, earlier, like some Anglophone people were had been mad early in his career because he used the first person plural with Quebec and Quebecois, right? He was like, he would say, we, oui, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, people from outside of the province were like, oh, look, see, he's like, he's in it for the French speakers.
1: But he's really, really bicultural. Yeah. His father was French, uh, spoke perfect English. And, um, but he had a very, when Pierre Trudeau spoke, he he had a very private school, traveled the world and particularly in France type of French okay mm-hmm. very high bro yeah Justin speaks French like I speak English it's it's not it, it is natural but it's not entirely natural huh. and so sometimes Justin will say stuff that doesn't make sense if you don't understand English especially when it gets edited up you know like uh, like the, the leaders debate a couple of days ago
0: and and that is something that just depending where you stand in in politics here is either a sign of betrayal or just this is just how it is and he's a national guy
1: 30 years ago it would have it would have been much more odd nowadays the, the 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 linguistic question in Quebec the national issue as we say la question nationale are we going to become a country or not is less uh, important. And people who hated his father, hardcore sovereignists, there are less of them because there are less sovereignists than there used to be. Yeah. So it's not held against him. I'd say. It just made, makes him a very uh, odd character because it's true that he's binational, bicultural. He grew up here a bit, but he grew up not a while. So his father left the premiership in, I think it was 83 or 84, he would have been 10 years old. So grew up there in Ottawa, came back to do school in Montreal, but and then after that went to work in in British Columbia, in and around Vancouver. It, when you look at the people surrounding him, his, his advisors and stuff, all of the senior people in his cabinet, in his, in his office, they're all Anglos, which, which doesn't mean they don't speak French. But the, the people he chooses around him, they're Anglos yeah. usually. So his connections to Quebec he, he, he likes to flash them and it was not uh, easy for him to become a, an MP member of parliament
0: because he had to do it from here.
1: He chose to do it in Montreal. He would have wanted rumor has it to be in Outremont where he grew up, okay which is like uh, the, 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 the French, French-Canadian elite, right. you traditionally have stayed in, you know, the doctors and the intellectuals and the lawyers, they stayed in Outremont, mm-hmm. which is where he attended high school in one of the uh, very elite uh, private schools. But at the time, the leader of the party said, no, I'm not giving you Outremont. So he decided to go in Papineau, which is right next door, if you want, which is much more working class. And he had to work very, very hard to get the nomination to be the liberal candidate, yeah, very, very hard. So that you can't take that away from him.
0: I mean, what is some of the virtuous signaling you have to do to show you're not a global elite, but you're like, you know, one of the down, like, is it, is it by volume of poutine? Is it like, do you have to build a shack in the woods? Like, if
1: if you're asking the question, you're not, (laughs) uh, if you, if you have, if a guy has to ask it the question, then. You don't have the chops.
0: Then already but he's lost.
1: To me, to me, a person is a Quebecer when they decide to to live in Quebec. That's it. After that, if you choose not to speak French, I don't care. You're a Quebecer. To me, it, it you, you chose to live here, you you're cast a Quebecer. your lot. There, there you go. But other people, other people, and yeah. you're much more nationalistic than than me. Will say, no, no, no. To be a Quebecer, you have to be, to, you have to meet this and that criteria.
0: Right, but. But that's a very, um, I think that's what makes you pretty interesting in the, in the business that you're in, which in part is explaining Quebec to the outside world, or at least Mm -hmm. it has been when you've been writing in the Globe and Mail and all of all of the things you do in the English language. And then also presumably, um, you know, sort of flipping that script for the shows that you do and the show that you lead here in, in Quebec, which is like, here's what's going on outside but in part that seems interesting to me because you're not from here like you were born outside the country me weren't you you saw that
1: on wikipedia right yeah no
0: i don't someone's been toying with my wikipedia that's
1: amazing no no no, no. i'm i I was born here and you know what you're blushing right now yeah don't worry a lot of people have made that mistake i was it's happened before that i was told yeah but you were born in france you no, I was born in Montreal.
0: So is that like some kind of character assassination? Like who is going and... Everybody can, you you know, enter a
1: Wikipedia yes, entrance.
0: Yes, but the motivation, uh, like what... And the is thing that, is, is... Is that, would this like hurt you politically I know, I know. as a journalist? <laughs> no, as no, no, a, no, I mean, y-
1: y- what it says is that, uh, you know, if you're going to go on uh, Isaac Rabin's Wikipedia page and try to toy with it. I mean, it will be spotted. If you do that with Bill Clinton's, it will be spotted right away. I'm just, you know, I'm just a little fish. And also, in the 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 French Wikipedia scene, if you like, is very meager. It's it's. uh, not a lot of people do it, and that—that's a bit of a tragedy because uh,
0: Wikipedia is a very good. Uh... Right, because sometimes you have journalists who come from the states who look at Wikipedia for their facts, and
1: you know, I don't, I don't even bother trying to uh, to have it corrected anymore.
0: Uh, have you done it before, and then it keeps popping back up?
1: I think I did it once with someone who who you know had access and uh, wow. who could edit on Wikipedia, and yeah. I, I don't even watch it anymore.
0: So, so don't worry. So so I Patrick, was born in Montreal. Like I say, not from Toulouse.
1: <laughs> that's it. Toulouse. That's what something said. That, that, yeah. That's what someone. Yeah. There you go. No, not from Toulouse, from Montreal, like ten kilometers from here.
0: Sorry. <laughs> Uh, man, I had a whole fucking idea in my head that here's a kid who was born in another country and uh, comes and is now a Quebecois. Kindergarten, and... so uh, so you were just middle school, everything in Quebec. You were just born innately, uh, or maybe your parents, you know, uh, had given you the gifts of uh, sort of translating culture in some specific no. way.
1: So, but but no, but but okay, my 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 mother, her father was basically an orphan. Her mother was the uh, daughter of a, um, of an immigrant from Scotland. So my mother's side was very Anglo, lots of Anglos, the the uncles, the aunts, the cousins and stuff like that. So I've always had good, um, antennas for what's going on in the other side of the country. And this is what, you know, prompted me to go to university in Ottawa which is supposed to be like a bilingual, bilingual city, but mostly it's English.
0: And is that a, an unusual decision for a kid from Montreal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It it was, still is. Um, usually, you know, you'll go to university at uh, in Montreal uh, or Sherbrooke, which is 200 kilometers from here in the south uh, of Quebec, very French city. Or you go at Laval University in Quebec City. But Ottawa... Not a lot of us would do that. and I just wanted something different. And I wanted to uh, learn English,
2: uh, I I mean, perfectly. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
0: That's what makes it pretty interesting, just like going through, reading, you know, the things people have written about you, about the things that you've written. It's always this tension of, like, you get some Anglo people who are like, well, he's whatever he's representing something and he's, and you know, they're kind of mm. pissed off about mm-hmm. something. And then, you know, but really what you're doing in your articles is it feels like you have to represent Quebec, but you're not doing it. You're doing it with a kind of a critical eye.
1: Yeah. I, 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 try to, I, when I was, when I used to write in the Globe and mail, yeah, like, um, uh, a couple of times a month for like a year, I think, uh, I tried to explain my tribe, but I, 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 even though I love my tribe, I'm not willing to say that my tribe is always right, you know? And sometimes we're very wrong, like uh, this whole, uh, you know, we, we have a provincial law here. It's just been voted that basically forbids you from being a public employee, a teacher or a policeman, a police officer judge if you're wearing some kind of religious sign that's uh, that's visible
0: right like so, a niqab or yarmulke there you go yarmulke and uh,
1: the hijab yeah and i call it the hijab law you know for for, for 15 years people have voiced a, a uh, concerns about islam uh, people have, have voiced discomfort uh, towards these religious signs and after 15 years of debate, well, this government has decided that, you know, uh, we, we're going to bar you from being a teacher, from being a police officer, uh, a judge, prison guard, if you're wearing one of those religious signs. And as I've written, you know, this hits disproportionately uh, people who have, and quote unquote, other religions. And by other, I mean not, you know, uh, we're Catholics, right. we're, we're, we're Christians. So if you're from these other religions, you're, you know, disproportionately hit by this law and I opposed it, but this law is very, very popular here. Mm. So, you know, I've had to explain to my tribe a couple of times in La price that, you know, uh, I don't agree with that.
0: Yeah. And does that, I mean, I, I guess one of the things you're talking, I kind of want to, I want to get a little more information on that but you're saying basically you know the sovereignty and the language like these things that that i think from the outside people feel are such heat in this province are kind of changing and it's happened you know it's evolved um but that mentality of like not criticizing your own mm. has that changed i mean is that sense of like could you have done what you do now in terms of saying you know or even like the the corruption scandal like Lab yeah. scam like you're you're like Hey, by the way, this is pretty fucking corrupt, you know, to paraphrase you, but, you know, but like pointing True. those things out.
1: The, the, okay. The lav, uh, LAV scam. Yeah. SNC Lavalin is a huge engineering firm in this country, especially in Quebec. It, it, it was created here. And engineering has been a, a, a cornerstone of what we call Quebec Inc. Okay. Uh, engineering firms have built anything from the Olympic stadium to uh, the huge uh, dams in the north of the province which is huge in our national mythology and now um just to do a recap this uh, this firm has had activities of course uh, abroad and basically they were hand in hand with Gaddafi in Libya and
0: uh, people sounds like a very American story, but yes, no, no, no. it is, it is. Right.
1: And what happened was, uh, some of the people were tried, some of the people were found guilty, uh, but you know, it, it's pretty clear that Lava, SNC Lavalin did some corruption business. And there's a law in this country, like in other uh, countries, where you can sue uh, in criminal court a corporate entity, and this corporate entity, SNC Lavalin, is being sued for stuff that they did in Libya, for instance. And if they're found guilty, they could lose the right to uh, have public contracts from the federal government for 10 years, which would be a huge blow. But they succeeded in lobbying the Trudeau government to have a... They call it... uh, uh, Jeez, I forget the name in English, but the, the, the public prosecutors could use... A, a, a deferred prosecution agreement. Oh, wow. So the company would admit to wrongdoing and they would, you know, su- submit themselves to uh, reparations, to uh, paying a fine and then reforming the internal affairs and the, their, their internal workings and stuff like that. So they succeeded in lobbying for this law, which was voted in an, in, an omnibus bill which with 900 other measures. So nobody saw it coming or almost. But the public prosecutor, the, 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 the district attorney, let's put it this way, in this file said, I'm not going to negotiate a deferred, uh, deferred uh, agreement. So then Lavalin started lobbying again, the federal government basically saying, what the fuck? Why, why is this, you know, public servant not playing ball with us? And the justice minister, who is the attorney general, basically told the prime minister, I'm not going to order the district attorney, which we call cr- crown prosecutors, uh, to uh, negotiate a uh, an agreement with Lavallée.
0: And was this an Anglophone crown prosecutor? From BC. From BC, okay. And she
1: was sacked. She was moved to another portfolio, which is very, very, uh, she, she, you know, she was justice minister and then they made her veterans affairs oh, yeah. minister, which is a very, very junior portfolio. Right. And then it all exploded at one point because, you know, under the law, she has to be uh, independent. You cannot push her too hard when you're a member of cabinet or even when you're the, you're the prime minister. And Justin Trudeau, when this story blew up in the Globe and Mail, I think it was January, which is the national newspaper, basically said, it's not true, it's not true, but then, you know, drip, 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 uh, sound of, you know, these, these, the, 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 water drops little by little, we started learning stuff th- th- There they were public testimonies at parliament and stuff, and it was all true.
0: Right and but the lens through which some people viewed this was the tribal lens right
1: a lot of people were saying lavalin is huge in our economy in quebec lavalin cannot fail what the fuck is our problem this justice minister and i remember when the ceo of uh, lavalin was giving interviews and saying to reporters. How do you know that Mr. Gaddafi is uh, infringing on human rights? Have you uh, personally witnessed that? Stuff like that. You know, when you go in this country, in Libya, under Gaddafi, and you do business, of course, of course, you're going to get into the corruption game. And when you build a prison, of course, you are going to build a prison for political prisoners. Right. And and to me, it was disingenuous to go in interviews and say, no, no. It's not true. Yeah. And sending, you know, lawsuit threats to newspapers who were reporting on, on these these shady deals in Libya. I remember all that. I wrote about that. I remember being pissed about that. So a couple of years after, these people are asking for forgiveness. They're asking for immunity. You know, go to hell. I don't care if you're based in Winnipeg or if you're based <laughs> in, in Moncton or based in Montreal. You are crooks. You, you, the, the, the crookery was everywhere in this company. So, for, I, I just, yeah, I'm not with the tribe on that one.
0: But, I mean, to me, that also is such a um, a mis, kind of a misunderstood power of journalism is just to embrace the messiness of some of this shit. You know, it's like people want to have this, this kind of um, almost sports like us versus them. Yeah approach to every issue and sometimes your guys kind of a son of a bitch but also you know the the you know the larger forces at work and certainly just reading some of the english canadian you know press about the scandal it was clear that they were seeing things through like some as if there was like a, a french canadian cabal that was kind of you know running the country and creating these you know bringing the constitution down. I mean, it's just like very strange.
1: My my tribe mostly, I think, was wrong on the SNC, on scam, But, but, in English Canada, there's a tradition of treating Quebec and stuff from Quebec and and scandals from Quebec as being something uh, like it's almost in our blood. So, there's a bit sometimes there's a bit of racism involved sometimes it will be involuntary racism uh, but there's that that is at play also
0: yeah it, it you know i think you had written um because you've written as as of course you would have over the years kind of dipped in and out of some of these language controversies and i remembered you'd written something in the global mail where you just brought out that your parents and now thinking back i was like how could his parents have been fucking French? Cause he was writing about his parents in Quebec. It's all my, my, my research has been absolutely uh, uh, shortcut by, by a, a brief dip into Wikipedia. Let this be a listen to you kids. You can, you can read it as much as you like and try to get up to speed. And then Wikipedia will dash it all with a quick and memorable. Always fat. double check. <laughs> double check. Um, we're doing that real-time, real-time fact-checking. Fact uh, but you had said that, that in your parents' age, it was not uncommon to go into Eaton's and, here and have people say, speak white. E- e- Eaton's was a
1: huge you know, uh, department store. And um, uh, legend has it that you know, French people would go there and it was in the mostly Anglo part of the city. And when they would ask for service in French, they would be told, hey, speak white. Is it true I don't know. Was it true that in that time French people in downtown Montreal could be told to fuck off? Yes, it was. So Eaton's the big fat lady from Eaton's, as we called them, is she a mascot? Is
0: she She's a an legend? avatar for it, it, Yeah? It it could be, but is it on Wikipedia? <laughs>
1: I have no idea. But but the the, the, the truth is At a certain point yeah french people who were were treated like second-class citizens
0: like a different ethnicity uh which yeah yeah and in that sense and and um or even you know as you said in the same piece it just it's it was called the language of the boss so it's like these things are also internalized as this feeling of like i mean it's probably there were some very external data points that made made that seem appropriate
1: the 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 corporate uh, the, the, the the corporate suite were anglos i mean there's a and that is true the the, the the big fat lady from eaton's i don't know if it's just an avatar but the the boss of cn uh, canadian national the railway famously said in the 60s at the time well well i, I would love to have you know french canadian vps but i i just can't find any competent ones and that gave you a sense of how, what it was to be a francophone in the business world. I mean, of course, you could have a, a, a corner store, you could have a little uh, bookstore, you could have a shoe store, but the the, the elite, the, the, where, where decisions are taken, decisions that have an impact on, on, on society, it was Anglos. It was all Anglo. And that, that caused resentment
0: the idea that French Canadians were relegated to the lower segment of of an economy. But it's fascinating because it's not that long ago and then when people are having very different visions of what was happening with Labscam, it's like you were saying, like, you know, Quebec Inc, that's probably means more than maybe Anglo-Canada could understand because you're talking about huge corporations that are now driving, you know, Canadian economy and Uh, And that was something that was denied or at least, you know, um, was not ascribed to Québécois in the past.
1: True. It's part of the
0: uh,
1: mythology. It's, you know, SNC is so big. It's not just a corporate entity. It's also part of the the mythology, of the culture. So to see SNC on the brink of maybe... Being sold, dismantled, that you know hurts a lot of people, because uh, th- th- there's something in, in in people from Quebec that is always in our society. How would I put that? We're a bit afraid. We're oftentimes afraid of something. Sometimes, you know, we're afraid of disappearing, which is not that far fetched because we're this very, very small French tribe. In a notion of Anglo Saxons, so we've had to take in legi- we've had to take legislative measures to protect the French fact. But sometimes it, 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 this feeling of you know being afraid is misplaced, and I think it's misplaced with the Lavalin. If a Lavalin falls, it will be a fault. It's not because Justin Trudeau failed to protect them. Right, they shouldn't have been corrupt assholes
0: also another good lesson for the kids out there uh don't be corrupt assholes um but it's also i mean i guess it's a push-pull like you want to have the confidence as a as a group as a tribe as a as a province to be able to fail when you deserve it you know yeah boy so what what's happening with the with the language now i mean it's not just a quebec issue um it's also, there's like a million French speakers outside of Quebec. Um, mm. You say it's not an unreasonable fear, of this disappearance. Uh, but it seems to drive l- less of the conversation now. Although I guess there's this new bill now and that's about Bonjour, Hi. That's, it's, it's, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They floated the idea. Yeah.
1: They floated the idea on a Friday, I think. And the premier killed it on the Monday.
0: But it's legit, like unpopular, right? Don't Quebecois like really hate this phrase?
1: If you're my age, y- y- you get rattled off. Is that yeah. a good expression?
0: I I'd like it. I'm not sure I've heard it before. Okay,
1: if you're my age, you get ticked off.
0: Yeah, that I have by heard. bonjour high. Okay, so and and bonjour high just uh, is is the expression of the city. Like it's become this de facto.
1: It, it's become a de facto uh, greetings form
0: and it's an it's an invitation a bilingual invitation to just like keep going in whatever language you like french or english
1: and french people like me and i'm very moderate on that one you know i don't i don't cause a scene if i'm greeted with bonjour hi but some people will some people will be pissed they say montreal's a french city don't greet me in english and all all of the nationalistic impulse apart um, I think that one of the distinctive characteristic of this city is that it's French. It's not Toronto, it's not Boston. You're gonna you're gonna be here and you're gonna be exposed to French culture. This should be a huge plus. and and to me, bonjour is one of the most recognizable French words in the world.
0: Does not need translating. There you go.
1: <laughs> when I go to Italy, I don't need to be told "Buongiorno," hi. <laughs> I want to be greeted with "Buongiorno," and I want to hear them speak Italian. Same thing if I go to Spain, Mexico, everything. Just, just, just on the marketing side of things, I think it's, 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 I think it's useless to say hi. Also, and it's also, uh, it, 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 when you say "Buongiorno," hi to me. Sure, people will say bonjour. I will say, oh, I'm just you know respectful of everybody, which is fine. But you're assuming that if you're not saying hi to someone who's English speaking, either from Montreal or like you, a tourist from New York, they will run away screaming. Right. I was not greeted with a hi. I cannot take my business here. How dare you? Of course, people are not going to do that. Right. You no, know, they'll just say. You can just answer, bonjour, can I have some bagels, please? Everybody will understand. So to me, it sends a message that's like the translation, the symptom of an inferiority complex.
0: That the Anglophones here are kind of feeling under under attack. There you go. And
1: I don't think that they do on the whole. And, you know, having said that, everything that I've said here... I mean, it would have been super stupid to try and legislate how people in private businesses greet each other.
0: Right, but there was also, you know, Pasta Gate, right? Yeah. With the Italian place that said, you know, pizza instead of pizzas. pizza and pasta and pasta. And and, and the like- language
1: inspector came and said, you know, you can't have pasta.
0: I mean, in your, in your menu, yeah, that's the that's the bon thing. But within uh, uh, a, the context of a minority in a country that feels like it's got something to protect, I I don't know. I mean, it's kind of I feel almost like weird talking about the language stuff because it feels like such an easy, you know, it's such an easy thing to kind of gawk at from, and we, and Point. you know, we do this with the Republic of France also, and they're you know, incredibly. Uh, ornate bureaucracy around words that are allowed into the language and and not um but but you know i I think oh you're
1: you're talking about the académie française yeah yeah this this august assembly that decides which words are worthy right of being in dictionaries and stuff like that yeah but you know nobody follows that formally
0: Right. And the attempts to legislate it. This is why you're also against this, this now withdrawn uh, yeah. idea of legislating against Bonjour High. How do you build, if you don't legislate against it, how do you build uh, a city in which Bonjour High and all of the baggage that brings in is not part of the daily culture?
1: Well, cities are always bastard versions of a, a, a country. Uh, a nation you know it, it's always the place where cultures mix uh, so i don't think that you can legislate every single aspect of city life what you do is what we do we're doing now if you're an immigrant and you come here and you have kids they're going to go to french school this is the way this is the best way to ensure that you know french does not disappear because before that law in 1977 bill 101 Uh, immigrants would send their kids to English schools. Of course, corporate world was English. They were not crazy. They said, you know, if I want to give my uh, kid as many opportunities as possible, well, he's going to go to English school. Some would choose to send them to French school. But on the whole, more kids were being sent to English school, which were Anglicizing uh, immigrants. Which was anathema to a the the future uh, healthy future of French. So you keep doing that first of all, but you keep in mind also that people will be always cities will always be bastardized, and I say it in a very loving way. You know, just full of bastards. (laughs) No, no, no. But 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 it's a place where cultures mix. We, when you go to Paris in certain neighborhoods, you will have, you know, it, it's not your beret wearing uh, baguette under the arm image of France that you have. If you want that image of France, go to a village, go to a village uh, in, in one of the many wonderful regions. Then you'll find that that image. Yeah. But so, in Paris, in Rome, right? You know, Rome, Rome is Roman, but. Uh, there's a lot of immigrants and stuff.
0: And you have to, I mean, I guess you have to have the confidence also to play the long game, right? Um, to be able to say this country will will survive, you know, people who will come in. I, it's it's a constant frustration and theme in the United States. We're like, which, by the way, is you can't even begin to analogize to what's going on in Quebec. Because in the U.S. we are actually super dominant English, monoculture. The,
1: the, the, the critical mass of speakers is Anglo.
0: Yeah. And it's amazing how threatened people can feel yeah. by the arrival of, you know, a, a few hundred thousand people who don't for now speak English. And but just their kids they, will. Their kids will definitely. But again, it's not, you know, it's different than here because, like you said, you you are in, always at, at an inflection point where they will have a choice to make or they would have had a choice to make. Now, where does the law stand now in terms of educating the kids of immigrants? Same as nineteen seventy-seven.
1: So, say, okay. I think there's in the law. Don't quote me on that. Or
0: it's going on your page in Wikipedia.
1: But if one of the the parents was educated in English, I think that you can send your your your, your kids to English school. But if if you're both uh, Pakistanis, yep. your kids will go to French school. So this has not changed that much some of the par- parts of the law were struck down by the supreme court by the supreme court of canada um uh, pertaining to um, uh, um, uh, signage uh, commercial signage like you have a store it used to be that you could not have uh, your signs in your store uh, in the windows in english but then in 1988 or 89 the Supreme court struck that down and the compromise was found and French has got to be dominant and you can have your uh, English. Uh,
0: it's a font size thing. 70%
1: sale has got to be smaller than English. I know it all seems absurd when you're looking out, when you when you're looking in from the outside, yeah. I know, but it's, it's a, it's a bit arrogant when people will come here not knowing anything about our history and say oh this is stupid i understand the urge to do that but sometimes you have to learn and educate yourself a bit
0: right the context of where you're coming from and oui. the I, I would assume the cultural oblivion that seems always out there waiting for you uh, as as quebec
1: yeah but people are less and less scared about that why? Say I said, remember I said, ah, we're always a bit afraid. I think that, uh, you know, my, my son, Bill 101, as it was called, okay, 1977. When my son, who's 14, hears about Bill 101, he says, hey, it's Bill lol. LOL. <laughs> and he's not saying in a, saying that in a derogatory manner. He doesn't know what we went through. He just what... doesn't
0: know numbers like all like my go. children. <laughs> so
1: to him, growing up with uh, English cultural products, growing up with English friends is a pretty normal thing. It's not loaded like it used to be for me and uh, especially for my parents or my
0: grandparents.
1: Yeah. To him, someone who speaks English, he's not going to feel threatened he's not going to feel uh, diminished whereas the generation of my grandparents my god it was uh, the 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 boss's language now it's just another key to 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 entertain himself and stuff like that
0: that's that's fascinating and i wonder how much that just you know the maybe it's the onslaught kind of arrived and this is not just for quebec but for any culture that had maybe wanted to tune out English, <laughs> you know, like it just came and then you, maybe they realize life goes on or, um, that it can only go skin deep, I guess. I don't know.
1: It's, it's the, it, it's the lingua franca of, of our times. I mean, uh, y, even if you don't like it, it's a fact. I think cultures like us, even, uh, cultures like English Canada, what we have to do is try and flood the market with good cultural products—music, TV, books, uh, movies—so that you know people will want to consume stuff that are told from our, our voices. Because if, if you're going to wait on Netflix to do it, I mean, the the one of the Nordic countries, I think it's—is uh, it Norway or Denmark? as a huge tv industry and right. and, and I, I and i watch their series like the bridge and stuff like that it's very good but y- you have to produce stuff that people will want to watch not because it's made from uh, by 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 us but made by us and very good stuff because otherwise i mean you're going to get flooded with uh, basically english language products
0: right so it's got to be a good offense you can't just but play defense no. here the whole time um tell me about the new show that you've got your your new radio gig that started this fall right yeah um so tell me about it it's it's quebec maintenant le quebec maintenant le quebec maintenant so it's
1: it's uh, broadcast in montreal but also in in a couple of regions in Quebec. and um what we're, we're what we're doing it's a drive home show and um you know for a couple of years uh people at the radio station said you know where I was doing commentary. If ever you want to entertain the idea to host a show, let us know. We would be we'd be interested. And then uh, at one point I said, yeah, let's talk about it.
0: And um, so what changed for you? It's I mean, it's a very different. Yeah. uh, Different way of doing journalism.
1: I I, for the first time, I have the feeling that uh, I work.
0: because (laughs) that's that's not a feeling any journalist really wants to lean into no
1: no and i'm not not saying it uh in a negative way okay because when i was doing only the column in newspapers i mean i was basically doing my uh you know uh, i was choosing my timetable which is you know you choose to work all the time but if i wanted an afternoon just staring at the screen or doing Phone calls, I was free to do that. Now, you know, from 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 noon to six o'clock, I'm I'm in an office doing stuff. I've never done that before, in the last fifteen years. Weird, yeah, weird. And you know, nobody's gonna cry over over me because everybody has a job and everybody has to report or almost everyone.
0: Right. And I should say this job, you know, as the host of the like number one, uh, drive time show in Quebec, it's like, it's, it's a very high profile. I mean, you've, you've been in, in the public eye for a long time, but this feels like kind of another level. But, but I,
1: I I feel that everything that I've learned in the past 20 years, uh, all of my skills, my interests are, are put to use in that show. In a way that the column doesn't do, yeah. in a way that the TV show doesn't do. So it's very challenging. It's very fun. And and my God, live radio. The fact, you know, being live, I've I, I done that for commentary, but never hosting the thing. It's a fascinating feeling. It's like being on Concerta or uh, Ritalin all the time.
0: That is you're so focused that is not a party experience I've had, but you you just write heightened you got some adrenaline going
1: your your attention is your focus is one hundred percent it's fascinating
0: wow uh the guy you took over from had been doing it for years and years and years right
1: yeah, something like twelve odd years are,
0: are you are you in it you gonna do that is this is this the
1: I have no idea
0: hopefully um <laughs> It all depends on ratings. Uh, right. If it's up to you, um, then, then maybe. But it's not always, I guess. It's, but I uh, mean, listen, as anybody can hear, you've got the voice for it. Even even here, you know, on a Sunday and you're uh, at, at your table with some beers, you're very locked in, I can imagine, that when you're in the studio.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm twice as locked in. <laughs> twice as locked. I am.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you, because obviously this is the thing that um, I don't know. I mean, do you think most Québécois know you because not the people who watch journalism or, you know, are kind of fancy news readers know you because of the hacking and the uh, or the, the tracking scandal? Yeah. The the most famous thing about you as a journalist, uh, I think, was that you were suddenly in the middle of this huge court case that mm. caused commissions and, and so on. Can you give me the, the quick background on what that was so that I don't so you were born in Toulouse and then <laughs> hacked by the uh, okay. pr- president of Canada.
1: <laughs> Very simple. Um, the, um, in July 2016, police officers were arrested on, on suspicion of having done wrongdoings in the course of their work. And when I saw that, I was taken aback because one of the persons who was arrested was a guy who spoke regularly.
0: He was a source.
1: He was a source, but not a source in, in the term in, in the sense of you know here's a secret. He would educate me on police matters. It, it was not the first time that a source of mine had been you know in 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 the in the sights of uh, internal affairs. Huh. So that that when I, when I found that out, I was very very suspicious.
0: It felt now like a pattern. There like, you go. Like your sources were compromised.
1: Yeah, and I knew that in this police department, the Montreal Police Department, they had been paranoid about who was talking to the media. Not only to me, I knew of other reporters who had you know very very weird feelings. So these these guys are arrested, July twenty sixteen. One of my colleagues at La Presse had been telling me two or three times, you know, your name keeps popping up from my sources regarding to the uh, to the arrest of these police officers. And I said, I, you know, have done nothing wrong, so I can't help you. And then one day, the my editor-in-chief and uh, our in-house counsel called me and said, you know, we've had access to the um, subpoenas that were submitted to judges to uh, do uh, uh, wiretapping uh, to do uh, surveillance on these police officers and they asked specifically for permission to track your phone to get the metadata from your phone so they did not access my conversations, but they for, for, for a couple months, they were able to see who was writing to me, who was phoning me. They could have activated a chip and they said that they didn't do it, a chip in my phone to kind of track me in real life. Oh, wow. They mounted an operation with um, double agents so that because they thought I was going to meet with a source and they would have been around and tried to snoop on us. And the fascinating thing, and the outrageous thing, was that what they wrote in their subpoenas, and I don't know if it works for the same in, in your country, but you know, you write, you write a document as a police officer, you submit it to a judge, and he, he grants you permission it's to like wire an a- you tap. an affidavit, affidavit. Yeah, to there you get go, that warrant, affidavit. Right. In the aff- okay, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. Before the subpoena, yeah, you, you have to write the affidavit, right? Okay. What they wrote in the affidavit was bullshit. It was lies. It was not true. They would make up stuff. They would say, Lagasse has sent a text to one of his colleagues. And it's very weird because he hasn't spoken to this colleague in, th- in three weeks. They haven't exchanged messages. And this colleague, two weeks after, broke a story and we think that you know this police officer told Lagasse, who told this reporter, who broke the story. I mean, look, I still had the text messages, and in one case, when what they made when they presented the judge with their so-called evidence, it was made to look very sinister. Right. I was in a Christmas party, and the this message that they could not access they could only tell the judge you know he's written this guy on that date at that time so it must mean that you know they're up to something i sent them a picture of bread and foie gras and said look at what you're missing
0: that's a very fucking quebec crime (laughs) texting pictures of foie gras
1: at another point...
0: The guys at Joe Beef would be proud. They,
1: but at another point, just to give you an example of how twisted they were, how incredibly dishonest that they were with the judges, uh, they said, you know, the, the the source, the police officer, gives stuff to Lagasse, and Lagasse gives them to Le Journal de Montréal. Le Journal de Montréal, it's, it's like saying, this source gives stuff to the... New York Times reporter, who then passes it along to the New York Post. And the judge fell for that.
0: Well, that's amazing because it's kind of creating you as the unseen hand, like the leak master, you know, to whom all secrets come and you just distribute them, despite the fact that you were a working journalist and would presumably love to print some important secrets of course. yourself. Um, but, but,
1: but to answer your question, I was fairly well known, but they made me the Montreal police, extremely well-known. Because so they, they, they basically, turned you into
0: the uber villain of, you know, but, 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 secrets.
1: But people, when, when this when this story broke, that they, you know, tracked me. And then a couple of days after, they were forced to say that, yeah, well, it wasn't the first time that we tracked him, by the way. And the provincial police said, well, by the way, we've tracked other reporters while we're at it. So there was a, a an investigative commission, public inquiry commission, and uh, there was a huge outcry from the public because the public sensed that, you know, if, if the police as an institution can stop, can start tracking journalists, you will not have, you know, worthy journalism. So they, I was pissed, but looking back, I'm still pissed, but they also, uh, they also paid me a huge marketing campaign.
0: Yeah. And they, you know, they sort of hung themselves with the way that they did it. And, and I don't know, I remember watching this, not just because you had been on the show with Tony and, you know, I knew, knew of you through that, but because anybody who gives a shit about journalism was very surprised Mm at like 24 warrants, right? They were tracking you. you. I mean, 24 warrants on you and a dozen reporters who were all being tracked and, you know.
1: But, okay, me, uh, for, 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 in this affair... Me and another reporter. Right, okay? the,
0: the female. I have to forget. No, me. No, there's and, a different one.
1: Me and Vincent Larouche. Ah, okay. My colleague from La Presse. The 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 female reporters were tracked by other police department, and that was uh, the, the 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 Quebec Police Force. A couple of days after, said, you know, we've looked into our records, and w- yes, a couple of years ago, we we spied on half a dozen journalists.
0: Right. We were gonna tell you at some point, but just decided now would be a good time. So they had a, a big commission and finding they passed some legislation, uh, right? That was yeah. sort of based on this. Do you feel? Do you feel like the matter is closed? Do you feel like this wouldn't happen again?
1: I think there's something very wrong with police in this province. Uh, while we were discovering stuff during the public inquiry, I was thinking, okay, this should not be a commission, public inquiry commission about police sources, uh, reporters and their sources, and the police. It should be an inquiry commission about the police. And in the past three years, we've seen scandals, incredible scandals, of police wrongdoing uh, that led to uh, the anti-corruption police forces head uh, resigning in in mysterious circumstances after, after they arrested a... Uh, Provincial MPP, member of provincial parliament, uh, they arrested him, and they never charged him. And you know, by 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 a stroke of luck, he was the one who was in in our legislative assembly was tasked with uh, uh, doing. Uh, um, how do you say that? He, he was not the commission that was charged with the uh, uh, the responsibility of surveilling police you know huh. uh, and the internal would,
0: investigators were or oversight from the part there you go oversight he was doing oversight he was yeah. on
1: the parliamentary committee that was doing oversight on the police asking tough question of the anti-corruption unit they arrested him they never charged him wow. and again you know when i said the affidavits in my case when the affidavit that they submitted to judges to surveil this uh, elected member of of the Legislative Assembly. When this was tested, the Crown prosecutor, the equivalent of the district attorney, said, you know what, We're, um, we're just not going to pursue the matter. So it fell. Basically, what they discovered in the affidavit was so rotten that the Crown prosecutor knew that he could not in, in any shape or form, try and, and and try this guy in court. It would never it would never survive the test of uh, the the court.
0: And that's when Trudeau came in and sacked him.
1: No, no, no because that's provincial.
0: <laughs> right. no, got it. but but I'm, I'm I'm making a joke, but it is this it's uh, it does feel to me like, you know, the bar is always being raised on this shit. And then, you know, we're right now very presently in the middle of a lot of our own kind of, you know, sacking and, you know, exposing. In the U.S.? In the U.S. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean...
1: The, you guys are living through Banana Republic stuff right now.
0: Absolute sewage. And I, there was some point where you were making a point um, in one of your columns about, you know, kind of mob-based corruption as it happens with public works. And you're like, this is hmm. America in the 20s. And I remember reading that because it was written five years ago Yeah, it's it with a lot of nostalgia. I was like, remember when you used to have to say, <laughs> this is so crooked, it's like America in the 20s and not like, <laughs> it's like America uh, in, you know, 2019. Um but that is that is the evolution of things. So so the, the the unfolding, you know, I guess there was the public outcry and the public kind of evolution of uh, the response to what had happened to you and your colleague. Um and then it just like it's just kind of filtering on underground and we'll mm. will kind of business will I mean semi-continue. The the
1: the good thing of the uh, coming out of the scandal is that there were some rules that were, you know, uh <clears throat> the Quebec government said, "You know, now from now on, you cannot spy on journalists without having." I'm not saying it's the justice minister's green light, but you ha- you can't just go to a judge. You, you can't be a, a, a single police officer go to a judge and say, "Hey, I want to spy on a journalist." You have to get authorization from higher ups. And at the federal level, there was a, a federal law. There's now a federal law shielding journalists. Uh, uh, and and their sources from from police inquiry, yeah. meaning they can do it but they cannot do it just just like that you know yeah. which is a good thing and now the 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 very frightening thing is that you have a law that protects journalists activity like never before but never before has journalistic activity been so threatened by the erosion of the revenue base
0: everything else yeah yeah and that's you know it is the uh, it's the double whammy it's like we're a very um, we're like a sick member of the herd you know we, right, yeah right now it's like very right. very easy to pick us off uh, or you know do things like that would compromise us because journalists are getting involved in all sorts of shady shit just because they don't have any other way of making money and they're doing weird content they're reading wikipedia for their <laughs> fact checking and all of this you know degrading things
1: but you know Put push aside the Toulouse thing yeah yeah the, I was born in Toulouse thing from Wikipedia you you've done uh, excellent research
0: oh thanks yeah really I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on the uh, on the show notes excellent research uh, uh, excellent research I there is one other quote that I, I it's not even a quote it's just I, I read this and it just kind of struck me I was like yeah you know that's a sign that you've made it because I, I read it in a few different of these articles La fer legace yeah which is, it feels like, you know, when you start to have your own La faire, you know? Like, right. Doesn't that mean like this is now a thing like you, you've you entered the zeitgeist. This is the legacy affair. And everybody will know.
1: One of my colleagues, one of my friends at La Presse and the columnist calls me l'affaire <laughs> as, 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 my, my, as my surname.
0: It's a, it's a little like, uh, maybe it's like Jersey Shore, like the situation. But <laughs> there but, you a, go. but a more intellectual <laughs> version of it. Um, all right. Well, we're going to have to leave the uh, l'affaire right there. Um, but I thank you so much, man. It's really, uh, it's it's awesome to meet you. And and uh, after having read your Wikipedia page at least two or three times, uh, and uh, no, I, seriously, but just read your writings uh, over the years in the in the English uh, language at least. It's really, I think you exist in a very fucking interesting space. It helps me when I come here or when I read some crap about Bonjour High or something. Just imagine that it's actually the world is much more complicated. It, it is, and thanks for
1: saying so. Because uh, it's, uh, you know, sometimes when people will say inflammatory things about our language laws and they don't know shit about us, I'll remember that, you know, people from outside Russia say, hey, Gorbachev, what a great man. Whereas in, in Russia, Gorbachev is is not universally liked, you know, from the outside, things always
0: look He's he's pr- pretty po- simple. He's polling at like negative one percent, something like still. That. Yeah. Um, beautiful. Unlike, All right.
1: Unlike you and me in our respective countries.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if I in twenty years if I can be a La faire of some kind, then I'll I'll join you on the podium. But for now, we'll leave it to you, Patrick. Thank you. No, oh, thank you. All right. The trip from roads and kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Alexa Van Sickle is our producer. Music by Dan the Automator. Episode illustration by Daisy D. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Next week, The Trip sits down with Nakuset, one of Quebec's leading activists and advocates for indigenous people. We recorded the episode on Canadian Thanksgiving, which is no less fucked up than the American Thanksgiving in its glib celebration of straight up genocide. And if you think that somehow, this all refers to the distant past, just wait till you hear Nakuset's personal story of survival and loss and death and adoption in the aftermath of what they called the 60s scoop. We will meet you there.